Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance into the Weeds. We have a new term to introduce to your vocabulary today, and that is weed. We're going to weeds and I go into the weeds on a blog post Matt wrote. Matt, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome back. Hello, Tom. It is good to be back, and I have an idea here for today's subject that, as you say, I have wanted to weeds it for several weeks now, and I am delighted that we can finally dive into it. Tom Fox and Matt Kelly are back to take a deep dive into policies and procedures in the context of the recent enforcement action against Deutsche Bank for AML failures as well as greenwashing. I know you'll enjoy this episode. If you've not done so, I hope you will leave us a review and subscribe to Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We have a new term to introduce to your vocabulary today, and that is weedsed. We're going to weeds, and I mean go into the weeds, on a blog post Matt wrote. Matt, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome back. Hello, Tom. Uh, It is good to be back, and I have an idea here for today's subject that, as you say, I have wanted to weeds it for several weeks now, and I am delighted that we can finally dive into it. So, first of all, let's start with a gift that never quits giving, that's Deutsche Bank. Yes. But you mined it for policies and procedures. So what did you see in the most recent Deutsche Bank uh, enforcement action? And uh, spoiler alert, it's involving greenwashing. But you drew multiple lessons in multiple areas of compliance, from ABAC to AML to literally uh, ESG. Well, yeah, Tom. In fact, so we should step back and say that there are multiple issues here that got Deutsche Bank into trouble. And this happened, I think, at the toward the end of September, when uh, the SEC was trying to rush through all of its enforcement actions to close out before the end of its fiscal year. It imposed this sanction specifically on a mutual fund subsidiary of Deutsche Bank, known as DWS Investment Management Americas. And I know a lot of listeners are probably thinking, oh, my God, now they're talking about mutual funds. They've lost their minds. Trust me, listeners, we're going going somewhere with this, is that uh, the SEC sanctions mutual fund subsidiary here, I'm just going to call them DWS, uh, $25 million for failures around ESG disclosures, which we could shorthand greenwashing, and failures around a poor anti-money laundering program. But the through line here, Tom, is that in both instances, really what was wrong was faulty policies and procedures. And that is what attracted me to this enforcement action, because all the time, compliance officers are talking about reasonably designed policies and procedures. That's the phrase. Um, But we rarely see what that actually looks like in practice, or more accurately here, what a failure to design good policies and procedures might look like. And that is what this enforcement action is really telling us. So for everybody who thinks about policies and procedures, which should be all compliance officers everywhere, that is the utility of this case. And we can talk about it as applied to AML. We can talk about it as applied to greenwashing. But ultimately, this is about how do you actually get useful policies and procedures 
really crafted at an actual company with actual human beings. And we always kind of gloss over that point. That's why I like this case. Well, let me start with a point in your blog post. I'm going to label it consistency, but you labeled this section of your blog post inconsistencies in policies. What inconsistencies did you see and what were the consequences? Well, that's probably, um, I'll pick up on it from the AML angle, and we can get to the ESG greenwashing in a couple of minutes. But what happened here is that as a mutual fund, DWS is obligated to implement a AML program. There's actually a rule known as the FinCEN AML Mutual Fund Program Rule, uh, the most self-evident rule possibly in all of corporate compliance. Uh, And that rule says a mutual fund must have policies and procedures in place for an AML program. Now, you have a lot of discretion about how to fashion the program. There's really only two criteria. Number one, that the program must be in writing. Number two, it must be approved by the mutual funds board of directors. Um, And then actually, okay, so maybe three, a third point, it has to include a couple of specific minimum requirements. But you've got a lot of discretion about what that would actually look like at your company. So back to DWS, what did they actually do? Um, Well, as outlined in the SEC settlement order, from at least 2017 into 2021, the board of directors for the DWS mutual fund, yes, they were doing an annual review of the AML program and it was in writing, but that program was only designed for all Deutsche Bank US operations. And it didn't address specific requirements, uh, compliance requirements for the mutual fund business. And there are. Uh, So that's really what had gone wrong here. Um, There was another inconsistency that also jumped out at me about the transaction monitoring system that Deutsche Bank had in place here. Uh, So AML, a lot of what they have to do is you have to monitor transactions to see if they're suspicious. If they are, you file a suspicious activity report with various regulators. And so DWS did have this monitoring system in place, and it was supposed to be tuned from time to time. That is the word. Uh, That really means they're just going to update it for its efficiency, except the policies and procedures were unclear on how often that transaction monitoring system had to be tuned. Some of the documents said it should be tuned annually. Other documents said it should be tuned every once to three years. Um, To a certain extent, that didn't matter because in practice, DWS only tuned it once every five years or so. And when they did tune it after that fifth year, suddenly the number of transactions that needed human review and oversight, that tripled. So by being out of date and not following their policies, that introduced a compliance risk that was only made manifest once they did actually tune it and suddenly, oh crap, we have a lot more suspicious activities that we should eyeball before filing report. So all of this means that, you know, what are we looking at here? We have policies, yes, but they're generic. They're not tailored to the actual business operation. We have procedures, yes, but they're not consistent about how you execute them one year, every three years, maybe every five years, whatever. And when they do finally execute the procedure, that suddenly uncovers a significant change in compliance risk. <clears throat> so all of that really shows how internal or inconsistent policies and procedures can lead to a big mess that catches the ire of the SEC. 
Um, so when the rest of us wonder what do they actually mean by reasonably designed, this is a good sense of what an unreasonably poorly designed set of policies and procedures, what it looks like, how it functions, and how it dysfunctions. Matt, was it poorly designed at the outset, or was it poorly designed because of the evolution of the business, or perhaps <coughs> compliance not keeping up with what the business was doing? Uh, well, you know, my judgment would be that if the SEC's complaint is that they took policies that were basically just generic for any financial services business and said, that's going to be our AML program, even though they were a mutual fund that had specific a mutual fund obligations that other types of financial firms don't, but they just did a cut and paste job of their policies, that's more like, you know, that was inherently off target from the start. And Tom, one other reason why I really like this case is that we have heard this message from the SEC before. Uh, it's usually around AML or it's around identity theft. Um, the head of enforcement for the SEC gave a speech a while back where he talked about poor practices for cybersecurity, and he zeroed in on poor policies and procedures, as in you cut and paste your policies from somewhere else. And then you declare that this is going to be the policy and procedure, but it came from somewhere else. So it doesn't necessarily help your employees understand what am I supposed to do with my actual duties and my actual boss and operating structure and the transactions we have and the technology we use. Um, you know, the SEC enforcement director, when he gave his speech, his big beef was that a lot of times you'll see companies just copy and paste language straight from an SEC rule and declare that's going to be the policy that we'll, you know, we'll review specific transactions on a timely basis. Is that once a week? Is it once a month? Is it once a day? Is it automated and it happens every millisecond? How does that work? If you're just doing a cut and paste job, the employee doesn't know. And then you wind up with these compliance risks that you know, slosh around the enterprise and sometimes they get mighty big. And then suddenly you find them. And because the policies and procedures were not designed properly at the start, those compliance risks are now way bigger than they need to be, and it could result in actual harm if you have real suspicious transactions that terrorists are doing a Bitcoin scam through your network or something like that. That's going to be a big issue, and it didn't have to be if you had properly designed policies and procedures. But how often have we used that phrase just in this podcast in the first 10 minutes here, Tom? And people say it all the time in one breath without stepping back to think, what does that actually mean in practice to be reasonably designed? And that's why these cases are so instructive. Could we use a risk assessment or even a gap analysis to look at our policies and procedures on some sort of basis annually or even more often than that? I would say you'd have to. Uh, a good risk assessment is going to be the antecedent to what your policies and procedures should actually say. Um, again, going back to the bad habit of cutting and pasting from a regulation, by definition, that means that, you know, you just took it from somewhere else. It doesn't necessarily reflect the risks that you have. Uh, so you need to sit down and think through, do we have enough staff? Do we have the right technology? Do we have um, the right review processes? Uh, you know, I am all for automated transaction monitoring, but to a certain extent, some transactions are going to be so problematic and sui generis that they will require human review. Do you have enough humans to do that? 
um, time and again, we have seen the SEC sanction financial firms in particular for not having enough of that review capacity. So you wind up with um, insufficient number of people reviewing far too many potentially suspicious reports. There's a backlog. And of course, by then, whoever did these suspicious transactions, they closed the deal and they're long gone with whatever proceeds they had. Um, so you can't just take a, you know, in a, the FinCEN AML program rule uh, just to say, oh, yeah, we're going to cut and paste that rule and call it a policy and expect our employees to know what to do. They'll wind up doing what they've always done and then struggle rather than management stepping back and thinking about how would we actually own this risk, which is another phrase we use all the time. And this is what it means in practice, people. How would we own this risk in a constructive way to keep it at the you know, minimum possible level? Um, so, yes, you know, to answer your question, absolutely. You have to do the risk assessment first to figure out where your needs are, where the controls do or don't work sufficiently, and then you design policies and procedures to best address your strengths and weaknesses as much as possible, uh, which a cut-and-paste job does not do. Matt, uh, let me change the focus to ESG a little bit and ask, what was the set of policy failures you saw with the ESG component of the enforcement action? Well, I thought that was more interesting in a different way because that was more, I would say, a procedure failure as opposed to a policy failure. So this went on at, at roughly the same time period at uh, DWS, late 20, where Deutsche Bank was all about the importance of ESG in at least some of the fund investments. And I'm all for ESG-aware investments, if that's what's important. So they would be talking about senior executives talking about how they put ESG at the heart of every decision they make. And Deutsche Bank even said that they had developed uh, this thing called the ESG engine financial analysts could use of supporting the ESG integration policy that Deutsche Bank had drafted. So you could look at potential investments and you know the ESG engine would do its thing and it would give the uh, investment like a grade between A to F on its ESG worthiness. And then you could turn around and tell potential investors, these are A-grade ESG-aware investments. So you, we're going to be investing in clean energy and uh, locally sourced whatever in, in supporting indigenous populations and union workers and whatever is important for this investment. It's going to be great. And we have this ESG A-level grade for it from our ESG engine. All sounds great, except there were no policies and procedures on the inside to actually make sure that the investment analysts making all these statements, that they were using the ESG engine, that they were adhering to the ESG integration policy. Um, they, you know, there was nothing there about how to build accountability measures into the procedures to enforce all of this stuff that you're talking about. Um, so it's one part misleading marketing, which is the greenwashing part, which is a thing, and absolutely the SEC is right to enforce it. it. If you actually want to avoid greenwashing, if you are a firm, then you need to think through, are we going to have procedures that enforce employees following these policies? And that's what uh, DWS lacked. So, so yet again, we talk about reasonably designed policies and procedures, the AM part that we just talked about, that's heavy on the policy. 
more reasonably designed procedure. Do what? To fulfill the goal of the policy. And that means accountability enforcement. So I you know I'll wind up having this misleading and end up with this enforcement action. I think sure the this greenwashing case here to set an example for other advisors. Um, but for the rest of us who are not even in financial services, it's a check about who reasonably designed procedures do. Well, they enforce accountability. Accountability to what? Accountability to all the policies that we have and our values and everything else that we say. Good marketing or just good ethics to a certain extent is immaterial, how you do the procedures, your policy. Matt, do you believe that the uh, one of the failures, at least in the ESG realm, was not monitoring the effectiveness or use of the policies and procedures after the employees have been trained on them? Part of it, that certainly is true. Um, you know, I even say that kind of part and parcel of the accountability, you know, how do you stood? How do you double check that being implemented? What is the edit you, you the region, would collect to make sure that all of these promises were made will fund customers upheld? Um, you, the compliance team, the internal audit team, doing an assessment of are we following through? Uh, um, but you know, it's it's all one big piece about how do you. Hold Old individual accountable to what say that they're doing, and then and all of that accountability, certain meta sort of equals up to how we, the company, hold ourselves accountable to what we are telling our stakeholders, whether that's investors or enter customers or business partners, and that's where suddenly these lie to others. You know, if we are making statements about the ethical of our supply chain or the cybersecurity reliability actually enforce the procedure to promises that were made to other stakeholders. That's the point I would stress officers, not just in fine services, because your company is making promises to other are you do you have policies and procedures reasonably designed to be sure that are being that's really what the. Well, Matt, uh, I think we've weeded it, if we can use that phrase. I hope we have, and I hope we use that phrase. People can use it in their own daily conversation. It's a great verb. I can't wait to see what next week brings, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog posts for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century. Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance and AI. 
We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.